there's only one way to grow a prosperous business. You make sure your customers get treated so well, they come back for more and bring their friends. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of leadership and practical love, love that will help employees to flourish and businesses to thrive and outperform the competition. Please share this episode with a friend and help us to spread the Love in Action movement globally. So in today's show, we're going to talk about a leading framework for measuring and managing customer success. So if you own a business or you sit up in the C-suite, you know, laying out your growth strategy for next quarter or maybe next year, I have a question for you. What's the primary purpose of your business? No, no, think about it because, you know, if we go by the research, here's a stat that some of you are going to be alarmed by. More than 80% of business leaders aren't really clear on that. You know, their purpose is kind of hazy. Many of them try to balance their business priorities across multiple stakeholders, not really focusing on one core stakeholder to really serve well. And then, of course, you know, we got those that are in business just to maximize shareholder value as their primary purpose. But my guest today is Fred Reicheld, and he's the creator of the Net Promoter System of Management that so many of you in business are probably familiar with. Fred is the founder of Bain and Company's Loyalty Practice and the author of five books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Ultimate Question 2.0. He is currently a fellow and senior advisory partner at Bain, where he has worked since 1977. Fred is a frequent speaker and major business forums, and his work on customer loyalty has been widely covered in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Financial Times, Fortune, and others. And in 2003, Consulting Magazine named Fred as one of the world's 25 most influential consultants. And like so many guests before him on this show, Fred goes against the grain of this conventional thinking of really putting shareholders ahead of customers. He says the primary primary purpose of business is to, quote, enrich the lives of customers. In a new book that he just wrote called Winning on Purpose, The Unbeatable Strategy of Loving Customers, published by Harvard Business Review Press, Fred shows that enriching the lives of customers through love and care is really the primary purpose of business. And it's also the best way to ensure sustainable growth, happily fulfilled employees, and robust investor investor returns. Did you get that? So it's all encompassing when we focus on loving our customers. All those other things are going to happen naturally as a result of that. Happy, fulfilled employees And the business case, of course, is great investors, investor returns. Fred joins us now on the show. Honored to sit with you. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you, Marcel. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this one. So before we dive into your life's work in the book, I mean, I went from beginning to end on this and it's a, it's a compelling book full of great stories. We like to kick off with personal stories. So what's your story? Well, I'm almost 70 years old, so there's a lot of stories. <laughs> One that's probably relevant for the book was when I got a cancer diagnosis of five years ago and had to face the survival curve reality that people with my condition might not be alive in very long. I thought pretty carefully about what I wanted to accomplish and, and what time I had left. And it became clear I really wanted to write another book because I had learned so much. And while the net promoter system had spread around the world in ways that made me feel wonderful, it, two, Fortune reported last year that two-thirds of the world's large businesses already use net promoter as their framework for customer success. And that's, that's sort of cool. It's for something that didn't exist 20 years ago to that kind of adoption. And it's an open source system. So it's, it's not like there's a lot of rich companies sort of hawking this thing. It's, it has grown through natural organic. You know, people try it. They find it useful. They, they shape it to their needs. But I also see most companies are actually misusing it and abusing it. So in the need to write a book, I got to get the net promoter movement back on track. There are so many things going wrong today. People in well intentioned ways, but horribly ineffective ways destroying it, the core value in that promoter. So I, I started and I go back to, you know, how did I come to a different worldview? How can I make sure people understand this core philosophy that underlies the net promoter score and the system around it? And I thought, you know, that it's a few days, special days where I met people that changed my view of the world. One of those guys was Andy Taylor, the the fellow who built Enterprise rent a car from a little family leasing business into the largest car rental company on earth. And he, it's a private company. It, monstrous fixed assets in that business. You know, how do you finance all this growth and never have to go public? And he said, Well, Fred, there's only one way to grow a prosperous business. You make sure your customers get treated so well, they come back for more and bring their friends. And that simple idea got my attention. It changed my life because I recognized. He's right. And yet business doesn't measure that. Financials, the thing that we guide our lives by and pay bonuses on and measure our success and communicate to investors, financials just, they keep track really well of when we've extracted a million dollars from customers' wallets. But it doesn't tell us when we've done meaningful work that's enriched the lives of customers. It doesn't give us a balance sheet of all the lives we've enriched versus all the lives we've diminished. And that's, that's, the real impetus behind the net promoter system and why I care about getting it back on track in whatever days I've got left. <laughs> Take us back to that, that pivotal meeting with Andy. I mean, how far back do you have to go to, so that we can trace back the origins of NPS? Ooh, that's a good question. It's probably it's in the nineties sometime. I'd written my first book, The Loyalty Effect, which laid out, I, when I started at Bain in the seventies, I started seeing companies that just didn't fit the mold. They were growing faster than they should be able to finance. Their costs were way better than all the strategy principles would have indicated. And yeah, I went to Harvard Business School and did pretty well. And Bain is a really sharp place. But nothing I had learned to that date could explain these superstar companies. And I started seeing that what set them apart was they were earning loyalty from their customers and employees. 
And that was kickstarting this completely different economic flywheel. And I thought at first, oh, it's just the odd niche company. It's the enterprise rent-a-car, rental car companies. Like, oh, but look, it's working in software and Intuit. It's working at USAA in the insurance business and on and on. It's until the, I came to the conclusion that, no, this isn't just a niche. Uh, it seems like it's the only way to sustainably grow a business. That this flywheel of treating customers so they come back for more and bring their friends is actually the only winning strategy. So in the title of the book, you know, the, unbeat, the unbeatable strategy of loving customers, honest to goodness, that's what it is. And yet the world doesn't understand that. So that's my mission. Straighten the world out. Oh my goodness, such a compelling mission. Okay, so we've already thrown out the words net promoter system. There's also, I mean, it's a kind of an interchange of words, right? We can also call a net promoter score. Which, or you could call it net lives enriched, which is what I was intending to call it originally. You know, of all the lives I touch, how many are enriched, how many diminished? Yeah. That's yeah. promoters, detractors. I guess I chose more of a businessy language at the last minute, but what you're describing, yeah, it's how many people who I've touched have felt the love. Yeah. So to just to simplify the discussion for you listeners, I mean, if you're new to NPS, Net Promoter System, Think of all those customer surveys that you have taken asking you to rate your experience from zero to 10. I mean, thousands of companies around the world are using it now, including Apple Retail. We're going to talk about Apple Retail, Amazon, American Express, Lego, Nike, and the list goes on and on. They utilize it. And by the way, giving credit where credit is due. You didn't mention this, but Fred was the creator of NPS going back again to those uh, two decades ago. So... You say that there's only one purpose that generates long-term prosperity for a business and benefits all stakeholders. I got that from your book. And we mentioned this already, and that is to enrich the lives of customers. But not every company is doing it. No, in fact, we did a survey. I'm still active at Bain, where I'm a fellow and uh, advisory partner. So we we surveyed a, a couple hundred senior executives around the world and asked them that question, what's the primary reason your, your business exists? What's its primary purpose? And only 10% said it was customers. The vast majority think it's either making it a great place to work or making shareholders rich or some balanced, hazily defined duty to all stakeholders. And I was just stunned because the evidence is so clear. Unless leaders inspire their teams to enrich the lives of customers, none of the other stakeholders, you're not going to solve pollution problems. You're not going to get rid of diversity and inclusion and all these wonderful things. That's a pipe dream. If you don't have that core engine driving, which is a loving engine, it's, it's in getting your teams to, to love their customers like their neighbor. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that as well. But Fred, I'm, I'm so curious about mindset. We talk so much about mindset. How do you flip the script in the minds of CEOs around this premise that, you know, business is about enriching the lives. Of, it's about loving customers well. I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. Well, I have tried since my early days to make an economic argument that is clear to any rational person that whether they believe my stuff and are inspired by it or not, if you're a rational economic person, you're going to follow this strategy because that's how you make the most money. 
And that's what most people find, well, that, that can't be right, but it is right. As we have gotten better at measuring net promoter in, on an apples-to-apples basis across competitors in an industry, we consistently find the company with the highest net promoter score, in other words, the one whose customers feel the most love, that those companies are delivering superior total shareholder returns. So in all the companies I wrote about 10 years ago in the Ultimate Question 2.0, we took those companies and looked at total shareholder return, and it more than tripled the stock market over that 10 years. That's better than private equity funds do. It's extraordinary. And yet, because people don't measure it carefully and newspapers don't report on it every month or every quarter, it's hidden below the surface. And everyone focuses on stuff that is measured by accountants quite well, the cash flow and income statements and balance sheets. That stuff, though, is second-order outcomes of how well you love your customers or fail to love your customers. And, and I think smart people, they get that quickly. But then the question is, how do, I, how do I get an entire organization who is basically organized based on accounting financials and controlled and governed and motivated and paid? How do you make that shift toward a customer love focus? And, you know, it's hard. You'll see in this book, I've learned a lot. <laughs> There's some very <laughs> cool examples yes, there of is. people who have built management systems that are persistent, they're rigorous, and they put values and treating people with love and care, living up to this golden rule idea, love thy neighbor thyself, as thyself, um, puts it front and center. And though I hope they can help change the world as people see practical ways that these winning companies have put this to work. Yeah, we're going to get into a story about how they do that with Apple retail. But I want to, I'm going to pull you back. We, we've thrown the word love loosely around now, at least 25 times. <laughs> I have no problems doing it because I, I understand the business case for love, but people are thrown off by the word love. Your emphasis is on the customer side and my life's work is on the employee and the culture side, which translates to your side of the business. It's a beautiful thing. We'll get into that in a second, but I want to I want to ask you about this need to love our customers, right, as the primary purpose of business. So, let's get into definitions. How would you define loving your customers? What does that What does that mean? Yeah, love is a pretty broad word. I, <laughs> I guess I yep. book, people will say, "I love my Dachshund. I love my ice cream. I, you know, I love the flag. I love my wife. I." So I'm going to be a little more narrow. I think love in, in the sense I mean it is that your happiness is primarily in, in a relationship is primarily driven by the happiness you can create in your partner. So love thy neighbor as thyself is essentially your happiness comes out of your ability to make uh, your neighbor happy in a way that strengthens the communities that nest that relationship. So love, yeah, you know, if you're, familiar with Christian tradition is Jesus' idea of love is pretty close to the business idea of love. The more we can care for others and make their lives better, the, the happier we are. And it turns out, in a well-run business, uh, the wealthier we get. All right, let's get into the, the stories. You have so many stories in the book about loving customers well. And one of those stories comes from Apple Retail. And I think it's fair to say that the whole premise for the Apple retail stores, because I've, I've been there a few times, 
is to make sure that customers feel loved, right? I mean, how do they do that so well? Well, Ron Johnson, the guy that built the Apple stores, was the founder of the Apple retail, was he felt like the golden rule was the central message of the Bible of a good life, to love. He tried to build the Apple stores on love, it, you know, unquote, unquote. That's Ron Johnson speaking. The mission statement that he created for his store employees was to enrich the lives they touched. So a leader's job was to put their teams in a position where they could enrich the lives of customers. And, and one of the things he did early on was invested very heavily in a feedback system that let, let employees know when they were enriching lives. And, and he, he put net promoter to work. And you know, just a simple question, how likely to recommend us to a friend? Zero through 10. When you're in a 10, it's a standing ovation from a customer. It, so it creates that wonderful energy because they're telling you they felt the love and you've lived up to that mission statement. It's not only good for the business, it's great for you as a person because what feels better than the person you're serving indicate that you did such a great job that you made their life better and they're appreciative. So that's the best thing a boss can do. I learned from the Apple example was consistently put their frontline teams in a position where they could delight customers, do remarkable things, and earn standing ovations. Most companies have not invested in that. They take Net Promoter and they say, oh, it's a great way to, to catch the people who are doing a lousy job and get them in trouble or maybe fire them or don't give them a bonus. And Apple did. No, Apple wants... The reason Apple adopted Net Promoter and in the last release, because they upgrade this, it's a sophisticated system, but it gets better and better each few years. So in the final release that I saw, the person in charge of the Net Promoter feedback system at Apple introduced it to the teams around the world through video on Valentine's Day. And she said, the reason we've designed the system we have is to help our teams feel the love from their customers. And I think that's what a great leader does. They inspire teams to embrace that mission, and then they help them feel the love when they are in. Yeah, that's a great transition, Fred, by the way, to what I wanted to tackle next is the employee side of this equation. You know, I mean, it is clear to me that when you create the environment for employees to feel loved and they're going to thrive in that environment when they feel cared for, when they come into work, knowing what their purpose is and carrying out that purpose and having shared values amongst their peers and coworkers, et cetera, it lends to really happy and satisfied customers. So I, I'm, I frame it like this, that when you have valued, motivated, and inspired employees, good things happen in the business. But you take it a step further. The statement that I saw in your book is from the employee side. It's the employee saying this, I feel like a valued member of a team that wins with its customers. That blew me away because I preach and preach over and over, right, from real kind of just the employee and the culture side of the equation, but you bringing the customer now into this sort of like, we're all in this together and we can't do it one without the other. Speak to that. Yeah, I think a lot of people recognize that two things are connected. You can't have, you won't earn happy, loyal customers without happy, loyal, inspired employees. But I think they go at it the wrong way. They sort of think they're two independent ideas. And for instance, you read these great place to work lists and how they figure out what a great place to work is. None of the questions are about 
whether you're empowered to uh, enrich the lives of your customers and that you're proud of the consistency with which you delight customers. That it's more about fringe benefits and team interactions and it's all internally focused. And I think the, I mean, bosses don't make employees happy. It's customers that make them happy. If you're, you know, you deal with your boss once a day or twice a day, you deal with a hundred customers, it's your customers to decide whether you're feeling good about yourself or not. And when you're a boss and you recognize that, you can't make your employees happy. You can only help them earn happiness through the reactions of their customers. So how do you create the reaction? I, w- I want to get into the, you know, we want to create employees that are going to be inspired, engaged so that you're creating these customers that are loyal and will come back to you and they're happy, right? Okay. So it's almost like a chicken or egg scenario when you look at it, right? Is it the customers that are causing the employees to feel inspired and engaged? And so they'll have higher performance. Or is it the environment that they're in and the work that they do as by virtue of their company culture and having great bosses that will lead them now to serve customers with love who will then come back and refer people to your business? The leader's primary job is to create a culture where the golden rule is dominant and where people understand that winning is only going to happen for anyone. When teams treat customers right and earn their loyalty, and that teams are empowered to speak up when they see something going on that doesn't feel like it's consistent with, you know, it's not right. There are so many things in business today where the teams have not had the courage to stand up and say, this is wrong. And so companies are doing things to their customers that are just abusive. I call them bad profits, but they're toxic and they're everywhere. For example, when you return a rental car with the gas tank half empty, they refill it and charge you 400% markups. There's no economic reason for that. They just, they think they can get away with it. They don't do that at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, by the way. The, the company that's crushing it and winning doesn't do these things. But so many people see the accounting and they say, whoa, that's a lot of profits we can get by uh, abusing our customers on gas. And yeah, you know, even though there's no real cost to have your spouse as a second driver, the insurance policies are written that way. But, you know, I think we can charge $10 extra uh, and we can get away with it. And while we're at it, you know, we've got these devices that are automatic toll collectors now with the modern technology. Uh, we'll rent those out at $6 a day, even though, you know, and it's just, you know, again and again, or banks with their crazy fees and penalties or airlines with their change fees and, and ways Rental of cars. Mm-hmm. screwing their customer for as much as they can get away with, with sophisticated yeah. yield management systems. You say, wait a minute, who's the best airline? Southwest. The, you know, they're not promoter scores are the best. Do they screw customers with sophisticated yield management? No, they have two prices, you know, it, it's, it's the same. So on and on. But why are these bad profits so prevalent? It's roaming fees and with mobile phone companies and crazy contracts and stuff that's anti-customer. It's because people have a mindset. Well, I guess the boss is indicating that the reason we exist is to make shareholders rich. Profits is our purpose. And, or if they, maybe they understand customers as their purpose, but they don't have the courage to speak up and say, these things are toxic. This is wrong. This is humiliating me. I implementing this policy at the front line. It makes me feel creepy and it's uninspiring. 
is an understatement. We don't have enough of those conversations in the world today. No, we don't. Yeah. So getting back to the, the simple equation, when you take care of your employees, you love your employees well, create the environment for them to thrive, then they will love the customers well. Well, they need feedback. It, I think if you're going to make this a science and you're going to make a centerpiece even more than today's financials, you have to have rigorous scientific feedback, not just a score, but a verbatim comment explaining why and how to get better. And then, and it's not just for individuals, you know, you have technology, let's just root. I touch that customer, that feedback comes to me. Well, you got to have teams talking about those things in the right way, constructively, and bigger teams looking for systematic root causes that can't be solved at the team level. They have to be bigger process or capital investment or change in policy solutions. That has to drive the discussion and the learning in a business. It's not just touchy-feely. It is, I need systems. That's one of the great things about a business is it it decides what metrics and what measures we're going to use and what processes are going to help us learn to make progress on those. Speaking of metrics, I'm going to bring back the uh, net promoter system. And if you could kind of describe the promoter and the detractor that lends to, you know, high scores or low scores. Speak to that. Well, we, we just looked at behaviors of customers. We, we test, tested a bunch of questions. I was, I was committed to one question. I don't need a market research study. You know, you, you use market research for the appropriate reasons. You don't use that to figure out how your, uh, your genius at the Apple Genius Bar did with that customer. That's one question. How likely do you recommend us to a friend? And then a uh, open text follow-up. And on a 0 through 10 scale, we found that 9s and especially 10s were promoters. Their, their life was enriched. They came back for more. They bring their friends. They, they offer you good suggestions to get better. They treat their employees with dignity and respect. So that's the asset. And so net promoter score, to take the 9s and 10s, the promoters subtract the 0s through 6s, the, the detractors. And that's great way to simplify focus for learning. And it works the same way on the employee side. How likely you'd recommend this company as a great place to work or this team? And at Bain, we ask about individual team leader um, because that really is probably the thing that drives the success or failure of the community more than anything. And But it's the same idea. You want to have feedback. You want an, uh, the correct degree of anonymity. If you can't speak the truth. You know, if, if this feedback for your surgeon who's about to operate on you, you probably won't tell him the truth. You'll sugarcoat it. And similarly, the car dealers, you know, why are those employees begging for 10s when they didn't earn them? Because they'll get in trouble. And you don't want to get them in trouble. It, it was their boss who put this system in place that they're just following. So yeah, I'll, I'll give you a courtesy 10 just to not get you in trouble. But the whole experience was horrible. The, you need to solve those basic issues before the system can work. The book, again, is called Winning on Purpose, The Unbeatable Strategy, Loving Customers. And Fred, as we wind down here and come to a close, is there any question that I should have asked but didn't that's really important to our discussion? Well, there's one thing we haven't gotten into that I think is worth emphasizing. This love thy neighbor as thyself is not a uh, self-destructive. It's not like you have to be a pauper and work your tail off and get no happiness in life. This works for the economics work. And 
for example, this notion that I've been investing in NPS leaders for over a decade and more than tripled shareholder returns that people do when they invest in a Vanguard index fund, that's overwhelming evidence. So investors should really start putting pressure on companies. Boards should insist that they clean out bad profits because they're wrecking our future. Our employees hate that. I mean, what is worse than being put in a job where you have to treat customers in a way that is humiliating to you? It's beneath your dignity to implement non-loving policies. So it's just so bad. So we need to get the top of the house to deeply understand this and help enforce it so communities can can flourish. Get this book. It is truly a page turner as it was for me. You're going to truly enjoy it. So, hey, we bring this home, this discussion home with two questions. Tradition on this show. Personally, Fred, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? Well, part of it, it we all run into these crises. I had my health crisis. My, I have a son-in-law who's in the hospital had a nasty, life, life-threatening bike accident. And I see through my son's eyes, his husband's eyes, that his, his care and his happiness and how his life is being, it's driven by the nurse. Each day, who he gets as a nurse overwhelms everything in that hospital, whether he's in the ICU or he's in a step-down care unit. And we haven't figured out a way to recognize and reward those frontline nurses who, you know, and I've been thinking about this for 20, 30 years and working with companies, but we don't have the right system yet that lets the world understand how valuable these frontline employees can be in a way that's socially comfortable. You know, you, know, you don't want to nail the, the weaker players and ruin their lives. They're, they're in a COVID General, you know, in a world where hospitals are going crazy just to get staff to come in, you don't need one more reason to make a nurse want to show up for work. And yet, you want them to know that there are ways that these some people are doing great things and that they'll want to learn from them and that the hospital administrators will start realizing how incredibly valued these people are, valuable these people are. So I've been at this for almost a lifetime and there's still so far to go. <laughs> that's that's the challenge. Yeah, it is a challenge. And finally, you get to bring us home with your closing remark or a key takeaway to keep us inspired. Well, yeah, I, I dedicated this book to my two granddaughters. They're lucky enough to start having grandchildren in my family. And, and, it, and it's, the book is structured, and I hope the message is structured in a way that, you know, Net Promoter is just a tool to make teams happier. It's not just a tool to make investors happier. It's a framework to think about living the golden rule and choosing which people you want to have relationships with. And, and that that choice, probably the most important choice you have. You know, I say at the end, choose your loyalties wisely. They shape your life and they define your legacy. It really is true. And I hope people, whether they're customers choosing where to do business, employees choosing where to work, investors choosing where to invest, these are choices of investing in relationships and for heaven's sakes, be thoughtful because this is everything in your life. And I, I hope these tools can help people make wiser choices on all those dimensions. Profound. Fred, if people want to connect with you, learn more about you and maybe grab some resources, where can they go? Uh, well, I'm active on LinkedIn. So just look me up on LinkedIn and 
go to the website netpromotersystem.com. You'll learn about winning on purpose and all the materials we've created to help companies build better communities as, as a result of the tools we've developed. And if you find uh, Fred on LinkedIn, tricky last name, I'll spell it right now, right hell. That is R-E-I-C-H-H-E-L-D. There's two simple right? worms in German. It's right <laughs> and hell. <It's>, uh, <laughs> but you gram them together and have two H's, you're right. It's, right. Uh, it's, it's a mouthful. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here today and just enlightening us with this whole this premise of talking about loving your customers and understanding how to do that and this framework that the book is built around that uh, been around for decades now that you created. And uh, we're grateful for you in the business world. And thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Marcel. Thank you. Join the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag love in action podcast. And also look for my show notes on my website, marcelschwantes.com. I'll be sure to include Fred's information in there and resources for you to connect with them. I'm coming right back as I always do with my one action item from this conversation to help you become a better leader. All right. So Fred says that unless leaders inspire their teams to enrich the lives of customers, plain and simple, your business won't grow. Think about that. So let's get practical. I mean, how do you do that? Well, the premise for any employee engagement strategy is always to put people first. I mean, we talk about that here all the time. You know, people should come ahead of profits. And so that's the only way, really. And one way to do that is to give your employees a meaningful purpose in the work that they do. They need purpose. So when people are inspired to a meaningful purpose where they can visibly see and feel how their work makes a difference in the lives of their customers, they're going to work harder for you. So in the book, Fred shares a conversation he had with Steve Grimshaw, CEO of Caliber Collision. If you ever get a chance to read the book, check that out. Caliber Collision is a a chain of more than 12,000 auto body shops across the country. So Grimshaw told Fred, and I quote, people work hard for a paycheck. They work harder for a good boss and they work hardest for a meaningful purpose. That wraps it up, folks. And I want to thank you for joining this conversation that we put out weekly. And hey, we're always looking for business sponsors to help us to continue to grow. We're globally. And we feel that there is true mission behind what we do here at the Love and Action Podcast. So if you're interested in helping us continue to grow and you want to sponsor an episode, you can reach me on my website at marcelschwantes.com or find me on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.